It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 241, The Golden Age of Greece, The Peloponnesian War, and How Thucydides Saved America. Hey guys, after a long spring break, welcome back. This is your host, Brett Heaston, Message to Kings podcast. Well, over the past three months or so, I was able to finish the first draft of my book. I even pitched it with success to agents and publishers at the Northwest Christian Writers Conference, Next, we move to the official book proposal stage. Here's the bad news, though. Um, I learned from contract to publication, 18 months is the average time, which means being a writer is probably the most time-consuming hobby that I wasn't ready for, which we'll cover more later. At the conference, Jim Rupart spoke, and he brought up a, a cool little teaching based upon Matthew 25 that I thought was interesting and I'd share. You know the parable of the talents from Matthew 25? Jim said one was given one talent, and he hid it. One was given two talents, and he invested it and got two more. Another five and got five more. And the one that buried the talent was rebuked. The others who invested their talents were rewarded and even given the talent of the one who buried it. The funny thing is that there was no mention of a bad investment. The illusion here is that any investment in God's purposes bears fruit. The only bad investment is no investment of your gifts, talents, and ability. So, and you will reap. And I found that revelation quite rewarding. Because many of us were sowing and we're, we're investing time and energy into God's gifts and talents. We just don't, sometimes we, we wonder if it's uh, in the right context. Are we investing our time wisely? And it, as far as this teaching goes and that parable is that as long as you're you're putting forth your effort and you're spending your time and energy for what God has given you, then there will be a return. So back to the challenges of writing a book and the time, the challenges of time. We're going with the soft launch back into some irregular scheduled podcast postings for a bit. Let's generally say I'll post these monthly for a while until I get up to a good speed through the intertestament time period. Thanks everyone for understanding, and, and now I feel like I'm succumbing to that podcast syndrome, dragging out the end of our story in, in our own unique way. Sorry about that. And I should apologize for one more thing as well. I'm having some microphone difficulties, but um, I blame the uh, latest Apple update for that, which... Um, turned off the recognition of the Yeti microphone I have. Anyway, so I'm publishing this uh, a little bit less higher quality on the microphone, but here we go.
We start the intertestament time period with the Greek Golden Age and the Peloponnesian War. There's such a fascination with Greece in this time period. Well, they've invented democracy and philosophy, and they smacked down the largest empire in the world, the Persians. And Daniel speaks of a goat, which is Greece, tearing apart the ram, which will be Persia. Their military units, the hoplites, were incredible. But out of Macedon, we'll later see heavy cavalry and significant innovations to the phalanx. The Greeks are innovators. Right now, the leader of the Greek world is Athens. But let's talk about this innovation, this this thing about the Greeks, that they're going to constantly innovate and change and update and invent new technology. What made them so innovative? Just Googling innovations of Greece, the ancient EU website attributes the following innovations to Greece. Columns, stadiums, human sculpture, democracy, jury system, mechanical devices, mathematic reasoning, geometry, medicine, Olympic games, philosophy, astronomy, science, theater. That's a lot of innovations. And some of these I don't truly agree with, actually. Uh, We can't discount the ancient Egyptian medicine. And philosophy in so many ways goes way back. Astronomy dates to the Babylonians and before. But the point here is that was taken to levels to call them an area of study or formal discovery of these in the ages. Um, Or we can go so far as to say that that the Greeks solidified many of these things that were in existence into sciences. They took the tech of their time period and matured them into sciences. One of these, the jury system, revolutionizes justice. But I'd like to point out to the freedom within the Greek city-states, which embraces democracy, which promoted freedom and encouraged innovation and technological change. There was little freedom in a monarchy or empire, In a free government, a citizen could wake up in the morning and decide what he or she wanted to do that day. If they wanted to go to City Hall, debate important matters, so be it. If they wanted to go to the market and and trade, so be it. If they wanted to innovate and discover and do something new, they were free to do this. In a monarchy, they were slave to their master. Athens, the leading state in Greece, had remarkable resources upon its defeat of the Persians. The cities in Ionia were often looted and treasures brought back to Athens. Another consideration was the explosion of the arts in democratic Athens. Stadiums and theaters were built. Architecture and sculptures were everywhere. Great wealth was on display and entertainment was abundant. Homer's works were, were presented all over. Herodotus's histories would be taught in dramatic ways. And there's a truth if you look at this time period in Greece. It's a truth about man. I mean, look at the last 200 years since Free governments were reintroduced to the world in the French and American revolutions. Since then, a massive spike in industry and innovation has occurred in world history. We're hitting a time in our story when ancient history takes a dramatic leap forward in technology, innovation, and commerce. In my opinion, democracy was the most radical of the Greek innovations, a game changer for world history. Within Greece, there was something else that inspired their innovation. Think about the U.S. business market and what causes innovation in things like the cell phone market or the computers or laptops or uh, just microchips. It's competition and resources. Some of the smartest people in the world at the time or even now are devoted to innovating and bring the latest product to market. In Greece, abundant resources, freedom allotted to its citizens to innovate in the large amount of competition from a significant number of city-states were in a small area. 
It was a hotbed for innovation. Its only enemy was war and dominance of any other state over the other. All right, let's cover philosophy. This is what the Webster's 1828 Dictionary says about philosophy. Literally, the love of wisdom. But in modern acceptance, philosophy is a general term denoting an explanation of the reasons of things, or an in investigation of the causes of all phenomena, both of mind and of matter, when applied to any particular department of knowledge. It denotes a collection of general laws or principles under which all the subordinate phenomena or facts relating to that subject are comprehended. Thus that branch of philosophy which treats of God, etc., is called theology. That which treats of nature is called physics, or natural philosophy. That which treats of man is called logic and ethics, or moral philosophy. That which treats of the mind is called intellectual or mental philosophy, or metaphysics. The objects of philosophy are to ascertain facts or truth, and the causes of things or their phenomena, to enlarge our views of God and his works, and to render our knowledge of both practically useful and subservient to human happiness. True religion and true philosophy must ultimately arrive at the same principle, hypothesis or system on which natural effects are explained, reasoning, argumentation, course of sciences read in the schools. That's the Webster Dictionary 1828 definition. I mean, obviously these guys in Athens, I mean, philosophy becomes this umbrella of learning and questioning and reasoning and debating and increasing our mind and our thought processes. These guys in a democracy, these brilliant scientific men, they're going after learning at levels that have never been achieved before. And there's so much we take for granted from our Western 21st century mindset in this age. People were under the thumb of a government or local ruler. Any king had the right to order anyone to do anything he wanted. He had no freedom in a monarchy. This control pervaded people's thinking and life became very linear, serving like a slave. There was no questioning right or wrong. It was doing what you were told or being whipped like a slave. This type of fear would rule many regions, tearing apart identities and cultures and social structures. Things like logic and free thinking were not, were not second nature. The, this was innovative. This was a mindset that needed changing. Philosophy was obvious, in, in many ways has obviously gone too far in today's vernacular and understanding. But the root of logical thinking and empirical study are brilliant ways of thinking and decision making and study. It's like this type of reasoning was lost in antiquity in ways we can hardly fathom. The Greeks and their free government helped to unlock the mind in a, in a true uh, pursuit of study and thinking that had been lost in many ways. The greats, Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle, walked the streets of Athens. And when Philip of Macedon was gaining prominence in Greece, he wanted the best tutor in the world for his son. He chose Aristotle to teach his son, Alexander, the ways of logic, reasoning, and calculated risk-taking. So back to the history. After Athens and Sparta led the armies of Greece to defeat the Persians, the Greeks counterattacked, seizing territories in Ionia. The reaction of the Greeks was interesting. While Athens aggressively attacked Persia and expanded the Delian League under its influence, 
Sparta started to withdraw from the conflict, but it kept a wary eye on an aggressive Athens. The Persians started to take a different outlook. If you can't defeat them, allow them to defeat themselves. Future Persian leaders would use gold and bribes with espionage to turn Greece against itself. When Athens grew in power and prestige culturally and economically and politically, Persian gold ships would often show in Spartan waters, offering friendship and encouraging war with Athens. Initially, Sparta resisted the urge until Athens grew too aggressive. With Pericles at the helm in Athens, Athens got too aggressive in the eyes of Sparta until war broke out between the two states. If Athens would have just been a little bit more careful, they could have culturally taken over all of Greece by default. Instead, greed tore at the heart of Athens. Resources and freedom and success of Athens invited the world's best philosophers, artists, poets, historians, and architects. Yet this was until war broke out. War with Sparta would halt this cultural expansion for resources, would be put into the military preoccupation instead. The war that breaks out is called the Peloponnesian War. We get our history of the Peloponnesian War from Thucydides, who wrote about it. Let's cover him. Thucydides is considered the father of scientific history. Call him the unbiased news reporter with three references for every story. He begins his history with the, the way he compiled it and a slight dig to a historian from the previous generation. He said, My history is a presentation of the fact, and it's not written for presentation to the masses or or spoken in the theater. Now that's a dig to Mr. Herodotus, who lived in the previous generation. Thucydides desired to document a war and keep it a clean, thorough history. But I do have to say he, he has a bit of one-liners that uh, that I don't remember reading in his book, but the more I research it and looking again, there are a lot more one-liners. He's not as dry as I remember. In fact, it's his commentary that probably helped save the United States, which we'll cover later. Here's some of his one-liners. A collision in, at sea will ruin your entire day. That's a funny one. Here is one that pertains to our story. Here it is. It is a common mistake in going to war to beginning at the wrong end, to act first and wait for disaster to discuss the matter. Here is another. War is the teacher of violence. Another. History is philosophy teaching by examples. And finally, the nation that makes a great distinction between its scholars and its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting by fools. So without going into too much of the detail of the, of the Peloponnesian War, just to kind of keep our story moving, Athens holds out behind their walls and naval superiority. The walls prevent the land superiority of the Spartans from making a difference. Sparta would march out to destroy them and get stopped at the walls. The war probably could have lasted forever in some post-apocalyptic thriller, but Athens got more and more greedy and wanted more resources and territories. And there are some strange things that happen, like a plague in Athens. So, you know, so the Spartans are coming, and everyone in the countryside rushes into Athens behind its walls. Well, Athens had accumulated enough food, so it was, wasn't going to be a big deal. While they're raiding Spartan territory, they're hiding behind their own walls, 
but this huge amount of influx of population increases in disease until a plague breaks out. And great casualties occur in Athens, but Athens continues fighting. And there was actually multiple wars that stopped and started until the final one that occurs. In the final war with Sparta, Athens moved to expand and attacked a city called Syracuse, which was quite wealthy, on the island of Sicily. It's strange to see them stretching so far while Sparta would actually march all the way to its walls, but they did. They had that naval superiority, so they wanted to expand out at sea. The engagement was an absolute disaster, and they lost nearly their entire navy. This disaster allowed Sparta to attack with the help of new allies and eventually destroy the Athenian navies, not near Athens, but near the Dardanelles. Then Sparta broke through the walls, and it was all over. The golden age of Athens was over. The Spartans were going to destroy Athens and eradicate it from the map, but they remember Marathon and spared Athens. In the end, a culture that dominated the Greek world and Mediterranean was reduced to a nominal existence. The powerhouse of culture that once was is now a void, helpless to defend itself against foreign invasion. We conclude this episode with a look at Athens and what happened. It's something the founding fathers of the United States studied and concerned themselves with. So why did one of the greatest governments ever created crumble so easily? What happened? Mob rule was their reason. The problem with democracy and the reason the U.S. adopted a republic was this reason. People are stirred up to easily make decisions or they are swayed by the media to believe one thing or another. Most of the concerns about mob rule are not the concern about permanence, but about temporarily being swayed by emotions caused by brilliant oratory, or in the case of today, good marketing. For this reason, the United States allows educated and tried and true statesmen to be elected and for them to vote on decisions. They added an extra layer so the trust would be in the men who had earned our confidence over time, and those are the ones who are being elected by us to make the decisions. While in a true, completely true democracy in the time of Athens, it's all based on everyone's vote. At least in Athens, it was all the landowners' vote. The Founding Fathers didn't do this to create an elite layer of politicians as much as a protective layer against emotional decision-making that led to ruin in the case of Athens. And here's how Thucydides saved America. James Madison traveled to Philadelphia in 1787 with Athens on his mind. He spent the year before the Constitutional Convention reading trunkfuls. I read two of them, of books on the history of failed democracies sent to him from Paris by Thomas Jefferson. Madison was determined to avoid the fate of Athens and other states, which he believed succumbed to rule by demagogues and mobs. Madison, Madison's reading convinced him that direct democracies unleashed populist passions that lacked reason prized by enlightened thinkers. Direct democracies were vulnerable to emotional temporary sways by media, monetary pushes, and good marketing. It was a paid mob that convinced Pilate to release a murderer named Barabbas and crucify the innocent Jesus of Nazareth. 
The writing of Thucydides was a primary source of the Peloponnesian War, which shows how evil men in the pursuit of power led to a disastrous war which overthrew a democracy. This was one of the primary sources of material that Madison had when they developed the government of the United States. The outcome was a more robust government set in place to prevent emotional, destructive, irrational decision-making swayed by heavy doses of money in media or brilliant oratory of flawed men. Who knows, for the brilliant documentation of Thucydides, the United States may have fallen sway to the same disastrous outcome as Athens. Thank you, God, for the brilliant historians you placed in our past. In the words of Thucydides, history is philosophy teaching by example. Let's remove philosophy, which is interchangeable here. History is teaching by example. History is learning from failures. History is learning the victories of the past, but history is also learning from the failures of the past. Greek culture and arts and innovation will go stagnant under the rule of Sparta, and it will succumb to a conqueror from the north whose ambitions still rattle us today, and his military glory will be unmatched. Athens, the Greek powerhouse of culture, rose and fell on the world stage rather quickly. Their donation to the world has been remarkable. Fortunately for Athens, their contribution to the world does not die, but becomes proliferated throughout the world due to the military genius of a future world conqueror, Alexander the Great. The goat from the book of Daniel has arrived. Alexander the Great will cover in the next episode. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.